Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. In 2003, James Arvadik founded the chocolate pudding company Goo. Renowned for their glass ramekin souffles, the brand became so popular it reportedly added 200 million calories a week to the nation's waistline. Seven years later, he sold the business for a pretty healthy sum and turned his attention to a healthier pudding. Ditching the decadence, James bought the majority stake in a small dairy-free business, rebranding the company into the Coconut Collaborative. With his range of coconut-based puddings, including yogurts and ice cream, James turned this fledging firm into a global business with a turnover of over £12 million. James Arvadik, welcome to your Sherlock's success story. So let's start at the beginning. What did you do before you founded Goo? How did you get to that point? When I founded Goo, I was 35. So I was actually getting on a bit. But I'd been in the food business for 12 years and I just wanted to work for myself. And why did you go into the food business 12 years prior to that? I never thought I'd go into the food business. I mean, I started in IT and uh, I'm now useless at IT, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) But I found myself working for a big supermarket chain. Which supermarket chain was that? Uh, Safeway. Do you remember them? Yeah, sadly I do. I, I remember the Safeway ad jingle. It still kind of rings in my head annoyingly. It still haunts you. Yeah. So you work for Safeway, and what were you doing for Safeway? Uh, I was doing marketing for them. And then I joined a dairy company called St Ival, well known for butter, yeah. cream and yoghurt. And that's how I got into this area, this business. I was with them for nine years. And was it while you were at St Ival that you came up with the idea of Goo? Yes. Your father was an entrepreneur. Did you grow up wanting to follow in his footsteps? Not exactly. I would describe him as a struggling entrepreneur. (laughs) And there's a big difference between successful and struggling. And I mean, the entrepreneurial life is a tough life. But the good thing was that he was always kind of talking about business. And I used to go to his office and factory and stuff. So I kind of got used to it. I suppose it must be in the blood or something. So you came up with the idea of goo. How? I was selling margarine in Belgium. I'd moved to Brussels. And I was selling a brand utterly bustily. I remember the Belgian authorities visited my office and said, Mr. Arvadik, we've decided that you can't launch utterly bustily in Belgium because there's no butter in it. So that was it. (laughs) (laughs) So I then thought, well, you know, what am I going to do? I had an office in Belgium. My boss was in Paris. And I just started thinking about what I was going to do next. The chain, the Pan Quotidien, was is, is a Belgian chain. But way before it came to the UK, in fact, one of the things I was thinking of doing was bringing that to the UK. But they used to have this great product called Le Bomme au Chocolat, the chocolate bomb. 
And I just thought, you know what? I could sell tons of this stuff. This is like crack cocaine for chocolate <laughs> addicts. So I just thought if I could find a way of putting that, wrapping it up and creating a brand out of it, I'd have a good business. Where did That's how Goo was born. But then I did absolutely nothing with it. So like a lot of people, I just it stayed as a thought in my head. And I just sat on it for about 18 months until I finally got to the stage where I used to talk more about my business idea than what I was doing. What I was doing became an embarrassment to me. And then it was embarrassing that I wasn't doing my business idea. And I remember the seminal moment was when I was on the chairlift talking to this guy. My brother's very successful. He's got a lot of very successful friends and who was slightly intimidating. Anyway, this guy said, so what are you up to, Jim? And I said, all right, well, I've got a chocolate puddings business, Tony. You thought, right, so I thought, right I've got to do it now. That was the key moment. That was in 2002. Basically got busy with it and I launched in May 2003. So you got back from your skiing holiday and you thought, right, I've committed now. I've told Tony I've got a chocolate business, so I'm going to make this happen. Yes. How did you make it happen? I had this idea of the product, which I've talked to you about, and then I launched something completely different. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which was the hot chocolate souffle which you talked about in the ramekin and I the best I, met... I still remember the first time I discovered that oh it's an amazing product yep. I basically hired a pastry chef who had been at Mosman's and a lot of London chefs get fed up with working nights you would do wouldn't you which you would so that's why London's such a great place to start a food business because there was a lot of really talented people who can't wait to have a normal life interesting So I hired Katrina, got together with my partner, who's still my business partner, a guy called Motti, and he had a factory in Walthamstow, and we started developing desserts in the glass jars. I found these glass jars, which now fill up everybody's cupboards. Afraid so. Afraid they're filling up Uh, mine. I mean, to the point that, rather ridiculously, people pack them up when they move house. (laughs) You know, these glass jars cost about 5p each. I just want to tell everybody about that. So if you're you're paying for an extra box in the back of your removal Just just recycle them. Exactly, recycle them. (laughs) Anyway, it was a very good deal. M&S had just stopped using them, so there were millions of these glass jars. So you weren't having the glass jars made for your product? No, 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 I discovered them. They'd been discontinued by someone else. And I think they were a key part of Goo, to be honest because it looked as if it was something that everybody had prepared themselves. Yeah, it was sort of acceptable. I remember the other day, someone in the office saying, I'm supposed to make a cheesecake for my friend tonight. Yes. I was like, just go and get some goo puds. There was something acceptable, wasn't there? Yes. For the first time ever about getting out something you bought in the supermarket. Exactly. And putting it on the table in its branding and all its glory. Yeah, well, it wasn't that branded. That was True. the whole thing with the glass jar. I mean, almost all you needed to do was stick a raspberry on top. <laughs> And then maybe a sprig of mint or something. And then that was it. You added your touch. You you could. But I sort of felt a bit like going to cook. You could sort of hold your head up high and admit it because it was goo or because it's cook. Yes, It makes it acceptable not to have cooked yourself. I I completely agree. Let's go back to your business partner. You mentioned him. Yes. How did he become your business partner and why were you friends before? I'm always interested in how you select a business partner. Everything in my business life has been quite random. I met this guy he was supplying the airlines with cakes it was just after 9-11 when the airline industry generally had 
plummeted, you know, no one was flying and the airlines were cutting back on everything. So his business was struggling. And we met at a food show in Barcelona and just started talking. I said, what do you do, Motti? And he said, I make cakes. He said, what do you do? I said, I'm looking for someone to make cakes for me. <laughs> so it seemed like quite a good fit. We've been in business ever since. In fact, he's my partner in my new business Is as he well. in Coconut Collaborative? Yeah. Which yeah. we're going to come on to. How interesting. So you got together and are you 50-50? Not in goo, actually, because he financed the whole thing. It was his factory. So he owned a bit more of it than I did. And did you need any other investment in the business? No, he financed it. It was his factory, so we created a new business. It's interesting because when we launched, it was a bit like this summer. 2003 was the last heat wave, and it was the worst time to launch a chocolate puddings business. <laughs> I mean, goo will be really struggling at the moment because no one eats a chocolate puddings in the heat. So actually, the first few months were very difficult. I remember Sainsbury and Waitrose, who had backed me, basically both phoned me up and said, look, we're throwing away more than we're selling and we're going to discontinue goo. And this was like two months after I launched. I said, you can't do that. You know, it's not going to stay hot forever. And literally within, I mean, I don't know, I did some kind of rain dance or something. Literally, the weather turned and people started buying it. And then it, it just took off. It was one of those things. I mean, I think people discovered it. And then it was before social media. So people weren't tweeting or Instagramming. They were just basically phoning up their friends and saying, have you discovered this? Good old traditional um, word of mouth. The Jungle and Telegraph, yeah. We'll come on to how you got it out there. But yes. what did the market look like at that time? Was there anything else in the supermarket? Because as you said, I sort of yes. remember it being such a category disruptor, if you like. Was there anything else? That time, if you wanted a decent dessert, you'd go to Marks and Spencers. And they were the only people who sold decent desserts. I wouldn't say I kind of redefined desserts. I would say I moved the needle. From about six to about eight or nine, maybe. <laughs> Which I think is the key thing, actually, with any business, is to basically, when you're too disruptive, not used to it, but mm. if you can just improve something by at least 10%, I think you've got a chance of having a successful business. We always talk about Sofa.com and how they made something as unsexy as Sofa Sexy. Yes. You did the same for Goo. You took... A chocolate pudding, which mm. was pretty bog standard. Mm. And you made it cool and premium. Do you think that came from the brand being goo? Well, I think it's like a combination of things. It's like everything has to be right. Very simply, I think with branding, you've got to kind of make a promise and keep a promise. And, uh, you know, goo looked good. It looked like the business. It looked very indulgent. And then it delivers. It's interesting you mentioned Safer.com because it was the agency that did Safer.com that also did Goo. And I met this guy. I took the souffles over to him and I said, look, I need a brand for this. And he said, mmm, it tastes good. And I said, no, we don't have much money, Perry. He said, that's all right. <laughs> you know, we'll sort something out. And literally a week later, he phoned me up to come into the office. And he had this big kind of screen and he had this big picture of this dessert brand called Goo. And he said, I've been, I found this selling in Sweden. Have you discovered it? I said, oh, you know, it just, it's like finding someone else's beating you to it kind of thing. He said, yeah, I've got to say it. This is absolutely brilliant. He said, I was looking at it and thinking, yeah, it's really good. And then he said, oh, I'm just bullshitting. I've developed this for you. Did he? <laughs> yeah. So that was his way of selling his uh, branding to me. A lot of people, when they start a business... 
don't invest heavily in branding or go to the best people? Do you think mm. you'd have got to where you got to without that? I don't know. I know that if you want to have a, an enduring brand, you have got to invest in it. Mm. Whether you need to invest in it up front, I think a lot of people start businesses with something fairly rough. Yeah. They evolve it, and I yeah. think that's fine. I do think it was at a time where we as consumers, we wanted brands like Sofa.com and Graze.com and Goo and EasyJet. You know, there was just a real change, I think, yeah. in the brands that we wanted to be customers of. It was the beginning of the end of the big brand dominance. Mm. So it was just the beginning of when people wanted something different mm. and they didn't want the big corporate, the Weetabix, the Kellogg's, the Danones. They wanted something with a story. I think it was so refreshing. I remember with all these brands coming along. Yeah, I think Covent Garden Soup were the first people to do it. And then Green and Blacks came in and then Innocent were a bit before me. And then we started. And actually then there was this kind of revolution of new brands coming into the food industry. And, mm. you know, I, I think one of the things that we did is that we gave a lot of people, maybe aspiring entrepreneurs, belief that this was possible to launch. And that, that everyone in his dog is launching a new brand. It's mm. probably got a bit crazy, a bit like the dot-com era. Can you get posh pork scratchings these days? Yes. I mean, we talk a lot about popcorn and the birth of popcorn yes. um, in the office and yeah it was well you say that common garden soup came first i think you were pretty early on definitely one of the leaders let's yes. talk about the supermarkets because getting into supermarkets is notoriously hard yes. you obviously had connections from your previous career was that an easy thing for you because of those connections the reality is it's not so much the connections it's about how to do it so buyers change the whole time you know, if a buyer at Tesco or Sainsbury will be there for two years, maybe maximum, then they'll move on to something else. But I did know the approach. I did know how to get the product listed by a supermarket. What is that approach? What are they looking for? They are looking for something which is going to make them more money, very, very simply. Most buyers these days are they're not only measured on how much turnover they bring in, but they're also measured on innovation, how much the quality of the new products they're bringing in. And they want competition. I mean, you know, supermarkets love competitors because it makes it more difficult for the, you know, if you like the kind of Procter & Gamble Unilever thing, which is the ultimate kind of competition between two big companies, it gives the supermarkets more power because it's all a bit of a power game. And are they always looking for a product with the best markup? What's a traditional wholesale to retail markup for a supermarket? It depends, but typically in the chill food area, they're looking for about a 40% margin. If you can go in with a product that will give them a much higher margin? It's not so much about that, because actually margins don't really change that much. I mean, typically when products are launched, margins are a bit higher, and then over time when the price gets eroded, they get a bit lower. I think what supermarkets are looking for is primarily growth and ideally growth of more premium products. There's a kind of gravitational pull always to make things a bit cheaper and supermarkets want to see value added. 
coming in. So, I mean, what Goo did was change the average price of a dessert from, you know, about 99p to £2.50. And that was real growth for them. Mm. So if they sold a Goo pudding versus a Cabra's pudding, it was, you know, a lot more profitable. Got it. And what did you launch with? So you had your hot chocolate souffles? Yeah. What else did you launch with? I launched two other chocolate mousse type products, yeah. So three products. Three products, yeah. Three products is a good way to start. A good amount. Yeah. They don't just want one, do they? You want to have a bit of a space, yeah. Yeah, a bit of dominance as well. No one will see you, will they? Yeah, exactly. And you said it was a hot summer, and initially they weren't selling, but the weather turned. Yes. When the weather did turn, yes. did they start to fly off the shelves? In certain places, they did fly off the shelves. The thing about Goo and actually the Coconut Collaborative and a lot of new premium brands is they tend to start in food hotspots like Wandsworth and then they spread. So they generally appeal to people who are more explorative with food and then gradually it catches on. So they did fly off the shelves in Wandsworth and in Fulham and in Chelsea. And how do you get them to fly off the shelves? So you say social media wasn't around then or it wasn't a huge part of our lives like it is today. And it was good old traditional word of mouth. What other marketing activity did you put behind Goo? I mean, at the time, PR was quite a big thing. So I suppose the difference now to then was that we had all of our marketing was PR. So we were basically trying to get, you know, news journalists to write about our products whilst these days it's much more about social media. And how quickly did the business grow? It grew very quickly. So it grew to 25 million in about five years. Basically doubled in size every year. And that was a result of what? Awareness in the UK, international growth? We opened an office in Paris and we made a big thing about selling souffles to the French. I was going to say. <laughs> and they loved that. They loved it. <laughs> They've got a but, sense of humour. Well, Boris Johnson was the mayor of London at the time and he had a thing going with the mayor of Paris and he said, you know, can you believe that we're selling souffles to you guys? <laughs> and, and then that kind of got a bit of PR and stuff. You know, I had a very good team of people. We just kept on launching interesting new products. The brand we pretty much left is the same. It's, you know, when I owned it, it was pretty much the same right at the end to the beginning. And we just kept on doing most things right. A few things wrong. So I launched some products that I probably shouldn't have launched. What were they? I went into ice cream. Ice cream is a very tough market because you're up against, you know, pretty good ice cream companies like Ben and & Jerry's and Hagen dazs And I think Goo was kind of, you know, going back to what I said earlier, kind of moved the needle in terms of quality in the chilled area. But It was hard to improve on what hard, was hard to, I mean, Ben & Jerry's is pretty good, right? Can't beat a bit of Ben & Jerry's, can you? Yeah, so that was tough. But we did more things right than wrong. And yeah, it was a big success. And why do you think it was so successful? Well, because the product was good and it's difficult to make, so competition was more limited and just people loved it. Is there anything you would have done differently with Goo? Yes, I would have done lots of things differently, but I would say I did more things right than wrong. So <laughs> That's the crucial know, bit. That's the key thing. And you sold Goo in 2010. How many products were there in 2010? I think we were about 20 products by then. 
Wow. Yeah. And was the hot chocolate souffle still the still, best? Still, it was best seller in the winter, but in the summer it was a lemon cheesecake. Oh, that's so good. Which is good. A key lime pie was good Delicious. as well. Delicious. And why did you sell in 2010? Yeah, good question. Because I think any entrepreneur will have the same feeling. You always think that the party's going to come to an end at some stage. And because our brains are negatively wired naturally as a survival thing you know we think that things are about to go wrong which of course they can go wrong in fact they never did go wrong with goo but all of my eggs were in this basket and I just thought you know what I've created something I'd quite like to enjoy a bit of financial freedom (laughs) so we sold it any regrets in selling it in retrospect probably yes but in some ways yes and no because you know as a result of selling it I started my new business which I'm also really enjoying which we're going to come on to very soon but you sold to Noble Foods why did you sell to Noble Foods? very simply because they paid the most amount of money (laughs) silly (laughs) question it wasn't (laughs) I don't think there was any you know anything apart from that they were very keen to get into this area they were in the egg business I still are and they wanted to become less reliant on eggs and therefore they were prepared to pay a big premium to hey it's ryan reynolds and i'm here with keith co-star of my upcoming film if only in theaters may 17th do you want to tell people the big news all right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Buy a nice brand like Goo. They've done very well with it. They would have more than doubled the value. As did you in creating such an iconic brand. So you sold it in 2010 and you then launched Coconut Collaborative, but there was a gap in between. How many years in between and what did you do in between and were you itching to start another business? No, I wasn't. For the first year, I had to carry on working for them, which was fine. I launched Goo for them in Australia and Germany and it did very well in both. And then I left, basically did nothing for a bit, which I found quite difficult. You know, I was only 44 or something, 43, I think. Too young to do nothing, to play golf. And all your friends are working, so no one was interested in playing golf or having lunch. So I thought, I've got to do something. And I started off doing some TV work for Sky. I did a series with a celebrity chef called Gizzy Erskine. It was called Cooks to Market. And it was helping aspiring entrepreneurs basically find a food business and launch it in supermarkets. And Sky did that. We did 20 episodes. I wouldn't say it was a rip-roaring success. Mm -hmm. But funnily enough, it was sold all over the world. And I remember I was in New Zealand and someone said, I've seen your face on telly. And I said, oh, right. (laughs) 
yeah, it was easy to watch. It was kind of visual chewing gum, to be honest. I quite enjoyed it. But I realised that actually I didn't want to do TV work, particularly. I think the danger of being a successful entrepreneur early on is that you suddenly think that you can turn your thing to anything. You can make anything work. And of course you can't. You know, what you're good at is what made you successful. That's why I'm always very suspicious of very successful people lecturing on how to run someone else's business because actually mm-hmm. all they know is how to run their business. That's what I would say. Anyway, I then started helping small businesses scale up. I started a consultancy business and I came across the business which I subsequently bought. Which um, was Besant. Called Besant and Drury, yeah. And tell us what that business was and what you saw in it and why you bought it. Yeah, it was tiny. They were selling basically ice creams made with coconut milk, non-dairy. It was before non-dairy was big, you know, and I think in the food business, you've always got to be looking for the niches. So, you know, goo, it was very, very niche at the start and the same with my new business. And basically, I just thought, oh, that's quite clever, you know, a non-dairy ice cream that actually tastes good, that tastes half decent. And because the problem with non-dairy or, you know, allergen free-form food, as they call it, generally didn't used to taste that good. So I thought, well, let's change that. Came across these guys, and I liked the product. I hated the branding. I didn't particularly like ice cream, having been in it before, but I thought at least there's a, an angle in there, which is the dairy-free angle. Mm. And it was before dairy-free was big. Gluten-free was just happening. But anyway, I just thought, yeah, this has got something to it. So I basically bought it. And you bought it for how much? I think I paid in total what it was worth was £650,000, which was way too much at the time, to be honest. It wasn't worth that. But the guys wanted to kind of get something, I suppose, for the idea. Do you think it's better to have a small amount of a big market or a niche proposition? Because the world is changing the whole time and there are basically trends. So the tide is coming in at the moment on non-dairy. So what was niche yesterday is becoming more and more mainstream. The key for startup businesses is to find a niche and bank that that niche is going to become more mainstream. So that's always been my thing. Head for the edges. And you said your business partners again with Motti. So did you go to him and say, right, we're back on. I found something else. Not immediately. So the first thing I did was try to make a success of this frozen business that I'd bought. I'd bought it on the basis that I was going to take it into chilled and develop some yogurts. So I did that first. I then had to rebrand it because I hated the existing branding and then kind of got it going. I mean, the challenges with this with the coconut collaborative as it became was making a really good stable consistent yogurt was incredibly difficult and that took quite a long time in the same way that making really good chocolate desserts day in day out was quite difficult as well you want to find things that not everyone's going to be able to do i suppose Exactly, because the key thing in our business is being ahead of the pack, so making it difficult to copy. I mean, you took something that is, you know, notorious for giving you a high cholesterol and not being all that healthy, i.e. goo, and you kind of went down a much more of a health route. Yes, Was that a conscious thing for you? Did you see that that was where the industry was going? Yes, totally. So basically, lots of things changed during, you know, between when I launched Goo to when I launched the Coconut Collaborative. And the main thing was that we'd all become healthier. 
I think the reason I sold goo in the end, if I was going to give one reason to it, was that everybody had bought goo, everybody knew about it, but when you ask people when they last bought it, they'd say, oh, maybe sometime last year. So it was a very infrequent purchase, mm. and I wanted to get into a business that people bought day in, day out. And to do that, you've got to have a healthy product. And do you think it was easier with the Coconut Collaborative buying a business that was already transacting and adapting it than it was starting from scratch? Is that something that people should consider if they want to be an entrepreneur? I think in retrospect, I would have just started it myself. There's nothing left of the original car, if you like. So I, stripped I, it. I, I, I stripped completely it stripped it. I wouldn't say there's anything left. Okay. I think it was because I met these guys and I probably thought, well, if I just do something now, then that's slightly disingenuous. But it was a very expensive way of starting a business. And I think with most people, the best thing is to start from scratch. And did you have any investors this time around? Not initially. So I invested all the money and I then gradually bought my partners out. And then after about a two-year period, I then went to Motti and I said, look, we've got something. We've got a really good product now. We've got a nice brand. The market's beginning to turn, you know, consumers are going more dairy-free. And then it was something that was an investable business. So he came on board in that stage. Let's talk about the branding. We've discussed Goo and how powerful the branding of Goo was. Yes. How did you come up with the branding for Coconut Collaborative? Did you go back to Parry at Big Fish? I did. And was it as easy a decision? Was it first round? Did you know that was it? Yeah, I think with the Coconut Collaborative, I wanted to have something that was very natural and very unmanufactured, if you like. In some ways, not at all slick. Mm, Something that feels authentic, which it does. Goo was very slick. I wanted to create something that was much more desert island naked the naked character and I say that as if I had some kind of great master plan on the brand I didn't but I did say to Perry when I briefed him look create something that's very natural that looks very un big company and we have evolved the look because I think the key thing was something that was very natural but also very simple and people get it. And because dairy-free is a new market, so chocolate puddings has always been around, if you like, but coconut yogurt hasn't. It's mm. something new. We needed to evolve the brand so that people could understand it. So if you look at the original design to where we are now, which is version 3, you can see the evolution, but it's much simpler now, which is good. So you went back to the supermarkets with a product that they didn't already stock. Was that hard to sell? It's never easy. I mean, I think the one thing that having done Goo did was got me in the door. So it's like, okay, yeah, you're the guy who created Goo. You must, we'll see you. But that's all. And it took actually much longer to get listings on the Coconut Collaborative than it did with Goo for the reason that it was a new market. So, and it took time for the buyers to be convinced that this was the new panacea, if you like. But it has now happened over the last three years I'd say the market has changed significantly. And basically what's driven that is that we're all kind of obsessed about being healthy and non-dairy is part of that. It's seen as very healthy. 
Talk us through the range. What came first? What did you launch with? I know it's growing all the time. Yeah. And we've recently discovered your amazing ice creams. Well, you're back in the frozen business. You couldn't well, stay away yes. from the frozen. Ob- there's obviously been a, an itch you've had to scratch about frozen ice creams. <laughs> anyway, they're very good, I hasten to add. We yes, taste them in your they're office, good, aren't and they? And there are lots of positive noises. But that's not what you launched with. So you launched with coconut yogurts. Yes. Was it just coconut yogurts when you launched? Yes. So we launched three coconut yogurts, a natural, I think at the time, it was a mango and passion fruit, and we launched a blueberry one. My well. favourite. Love the blueberry. So we launched it in Waitrose, Ocado. Again, like goo, it took some time to get going. And then we persuaded Waitrose it started working. And then we got into Sainsbury and it started working. Yeah, these things kind of build a bit of momentum. And why did it start working this time? Word of mouth again? Or were you taking a more conscious approach to marketing? I think the reason why coconut yogurt took off was because coconut water had taken off. So the whole coconut, if you like, image was very positive. And as I say, people were looking to be healthy. So they thought, oh, let's try this. But if you're launching a food brand, presumably it's not enough just to get the buyers on board and get it on the shelf. You've got to be putting some considerable efforts into Well, in terms of marketing? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So this time we did much more social media. I have to say it though, I am, maybe it's a bit old school, but I think that I know very quickly if something's going to work or not. And it does have to sell itself on the shelves with just the brand, the packaging and the price. And everything else you do around that can move it, I don't know, 20, 30 percent. But you have got to get the base offer right. The product's got to be uh, so. So when people say, "Oh well, marketing is not the key to unlocking success in the food space. It is the key to scaling the business." But in terms of something that it has got to sell itself a bit at the start, and that's what happened. So you started with two yogurts. What came next? We launched some very good chocolate pots. They're slightly goo-esque, actually. Mm, they're, they're, yes, they're they are. Little, little, little pots, much healthier, slightly addictive. And that worked very well. And then we launched a rice pudding. Coconut rice pudding's very good. Reminds people of their holidays in Thailand and stuff. <laughs> and then, as you say, we launched the ice cream. So we do a range of really good kind of chocolate stick ice creams. So chocolate-coated vanilla sticks mango sticks delicious products and we do some like mini milk type products as well they're really good my children love yeah but the mango with coconut ice cream inside is it's good isn't it just divine perfect if you haven't tried it get out there and get your hands on some they are delicious and what's next in the product range i know you've gone into children's pouches as well so the big thing for us is to be the challenger to alpro they're the big dog in our space okay so everybody's heard of alpro that's what defines the category in a way you go into a supermarket if you're non-dairy you kind of look out for oh where's the alpro then you'll see our product next to it so oh, i might try that <laughs> so they did the early work But of course their products are soya based and I wouldn't say they're that tasty and that's why people are trying ours and thinking, oh yeah, a non-dairy yogurt really can taste as good as a a normal yogurt. So our next move, and we've started it, is that we've launched some products based on almond milk and oat milk. 
So we launched the Almond Collaborative and the Oat Collaborative. And therefore we've got, you know, coconut, almond and oat, which we think are the three big kind of non-dairy milks to back. And I think the almond yogurts are very, very good. They are excellent, Almost better, if I'm allowed to say that. I think I'm more of an almond fan than a Okay, well, that's, that's interesting because... Almond is certainly the biggest nut milk around. So that's why we thought, well, actually, our consumer has got a tetra of almond milk in the fridge. And there's, you know, but I think we've developed a really good almond milk yogurt. And again, you know, the attention to detail that goes into that, the number of iterations before we said, yeah, we've got it right, is really important. Yeah, well, I think they are seriously That's seriously great. Good. I'm glad you say that. <laughs> and is it harder first time around or second time around when you launch a business? I think it's always hard. It's very difficult to compare the two, but it, generally I think business is getting tougher as the world becomes more competitive. Mm. I mean, I've yet to find someone who says, you know, I found a really easy way of making money. I don't know many people like that. I don't know many people who say their job is easy, that their, their customers are easy. So I think it's difficult for everybody. However, the Coconut Collaborative is going tremendously well. What's your turnover looking like year on year? So, I mean, this year we'll turn over 12 million. But going back to this kind of success thing, basically there's a very high bar for success. I think in any business, but particularly in the food business. And it's fairly binary. You're either successful or you're out. I suppose this is the message to anybody who wants to launch a food business is just reflect on how many things you've got to get right for it to be successful. I mean, there is quite a big graveyard of brands that have launched. And basically, I'm afraid to say it's a bit like trying to become a film star in Hollywood for every 99 don't make it maybe one makes it and the same is true with the food business mm. you know there is a very high bar luckily touch wood and I don't take anything for granted so far it's working very well but you know it is incredibly difficult but I suspect your business is quite competitive as well so you know not many people have got it easy no, true. On the business that it is going well, what's your long-term vision for the Coconut Collaborative? So what I would love is in the UK to be the kind of, you know, neck and neck with Alpro, if you like, to be the Yo Valley of the non-dairy business. So a brand that people kind of can see everywhere, that people love, the products are good, they're consistently good. And I'd like to do that here, and I'd like to do it in the US, and then if I could do it in other markets, great. And we've got a great team of people. I want to see them kind of grow in the business. One of the things that happens, I think, in any successful business is that you get this kind of all sorts of spin-offs, positive spin-offs that are nothing to do with your brand. So I'd say of my team at Goo, five of them have gone on to start their own new businesses of which most of them have been very successful. They've been part of something which has been all-consuming, but I think, you know, very satisfying. And then everybody's got their own little twists and, and their own dreams and everything else. But mm. it's great to spawn a lot of new other things as well. On that note, can I ask you, are you a husband, father? I am a husband-to-be and I am a father, yes. Or Two, yes. How old are they? They are... 
21 and 18. Okay. Do you feel, as an entrepreneur, I mean, you said it's tough being an entrepreneur, yes. but do you feel you're an important role model to your two children? Do you hope that they'll go down the path you've gone down, or do you think it's too tricky? Or is everything tricky? My kids want to do something completely different, so they're not interested in starting a food business. My daughter actually wants to be an actor. That's a pretty tough business. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. As I said, nothing's easy. So that's fine. And what advice would you give to people listening who do want to go down? The tricky, but I would say rewarding, I'm sure you'd agree, life as an entrepreneur. The key for me has been to be slightly obsessed by it. So this is my number one hobby. You know, it's like, unfortunately, the way my brain is wired is that, you know, I like doing this kind of stuff. It's kind of slightly obsessive. And uh, I get up and bounce out of bed in the morning and uh, really look forward to the week ahead. So, you know, I wouldn't choose any other career. Well, lucky for us that you haven't, because if you had, we'd be without goo and without the coconut collaborative in our lives. James, thank you. I have loved chatting to you. And I can't tell you what big fans we are of the Coconut Collaborative here in the Shillax office. And I can't wait to see what comes next. Thank you so much. Thank you. That's it for this week. If you enjoyed that, then do please rate, review, subscribe and tell your friends. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.